Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Mannix from The Vertical, and welcome to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, where I check in with some of the top players, coaches, and analysts covering the NBA. It's a two-guest podcast this week. Joining me first is Bobby Marks, the front office insider for The Vertical. I talked to Bobby about what is behind the disappointing start of the Portland Trailblazers. There's a couple things there. Um, the Al Farouk Amino injury hurt them. Your bench has been a little bit up and down. You mentioned Turner, uh, Alan Crabb, Myers Leonard. And later, Dan Wojcicki, the Clippers beat writer for the Orange County Register. He'll hop on and tell me what he sees from Blake Griffin, an emerging MVP candidate. I don't think it's fun to play against them. Um, and I don't think guys particularly like playing against him. It's really physical. You know, you're right about kind of the working of the officials and, and, and that type of stuff. And I, and I do think that gets under people's skin a little bit. All that and more coming up next on the Vertical Podcast with Chris Maddox. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Uh, got two guests for you this week. We'll be joined by Bobby Marks, the front office insider over at the Vertical. We'll take a run through the week that was in the NBA, hit a bunch of topics there. And then I'll be joined by Dan Wojcicki of the Orange County Register. Uh, Dan covers the Clippers, and we'll talk about a team that has emerged as the hottest team, the best team right now anyway, as of Monday, uh, in uh, the NBA. So a lot to get to today, but I want to begin with with Bobby Marks, and uh, he joins me here on the line. How are you, Bobby? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Oh, you know, we're now, what, about a month into the season from your experience with the nets i mean how when you get through a month's worth of games and you're 14 15 games in uh what what do you think of as a front office guy do you think of like do you you look at the results and say you know we need to start thinking about maybe making a move or does it take do you have to go deeper into the season before you can really evaluate who you are well, I don't think Brooklyn can, could be compared to anything that we, we've seen because that's true. As as you know, we you know the first year we were there uh, in Brooklyn, the twelve thirteen season, we actually got off to a pretty good uh, start. I think we were six and two to start the season, and um, really had a lot of new faces with um, with Joe Johnson and uh, full Gerald Wallace. Uh, Avery got let go in around Christmas time, then we had PJ. So it was hard to really evaluate that group. The second year was, was more difficult just because we had thought we had a roster, you know, ready to win right now. And I, you know, it was funny. I was looking at the schedule from that season and I, you know, around Christmas time, we were seven and 18, somewhere around there. So, you know, and you had a lot of pieces that you, you really couldn't move and you had a goodness gracious, you had a luxury tax bill of, um, you know, 90 million plus. So, I think for the majority of the NBA, I think you look at it in, uh, you know, we're looking at it in 15 game clumps right now. Um, there's so many new coaches. There's, you know, 10 new coaches. There's uh, so much roster turnover, turnover from this past summer that 
we've we see teams still in that that early evaluation period. I want to just briefly touch on the Nets here, and and specifically Brooke Lopez, who through Monday has attempted sixty three pointers. That's his career high, Bobby. Up until this point, was fourteen, and that was last season. I mean, what do you make of of Lopez, a guy that you were around for most of his career, uh, suddenly emerging as a prolific three point shooter? Well, I, I saw it in, in well New Jersey when we drafted him, and then, and then Brooklyn. Um, he's had it. He's had to touch. Um, never really got the green light to to do so. I, Avery, uh, Lionel um, uh, during the fourteen fifteen season kind of tried to expand him a little bit, but was still you know reluctant to to do so. But uh, you know the one thing I get nervous with him is is that he's got a lot of good low post moves, so I don't want him just being a I guess a stretch five standing on top of the key, you know, jacking up jumpers and stuff like that. So um, we've seen it with him and, and Horford Gasol, um, another guy who certainly has expanded his, his range, but um, that's a di- dimension that uh, Kenny Atkinson has uh, gone with, with that group in, in Brooklyn. It's a uh, three point shooting team. Uh, we've seen about, you know, with the last week though, is that I, they don't have the horses to outscore so many teams. We've seen, we saw 129 against Portland, I think 125 against the Lakers, 127 against Oklahoma City. You know, it's fine to get up a lot of points, but when you, when you don't have defense to, to, you know, get some stops, that, that, that's an issue. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the Nets are going nowhere, but it's watching Lopez, who's, you know, putting up comparable numbers they did last year, right around 20 points per game. But, Layering the three point shot, it's 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 not a bad three point shot. He's shooting thirty six, thirty seven percent from three point range. I mean, that's, I mean, I just never envisioned him as a stretch five. I really didn't. It, it changes how you have to defend this guy. Well, you know what's interesting too is, is that he is, um, and I haven't heard anything yet as far as from a um, him on the move or his name being talked about. Yep. But when we get to February, he could be a prime candidate for a guy being moved. If, wait, wait, you tell me Brooke Lopez might get traded? No, no, <laughs> you're not telling me that. I know he's, he's had all those flashbacks from uh, when I was there. When we, right. I think his name was in the news for two year, two or three years straight at least. Um, but he would be a prime guy because he's got a pretty decent contract. He's got another year left. He's got some, uh, there's some protection in that, that contract with his foot and everything. And he is a creature habit. I know him uh, pretty well. Uh, he does not like to move around. So if if you can get him, even if you get him on an expiring next year, I could see him signing up long term. He's not a guy who's looking to to move around a lot. Yeah, I mean, he could be a difference maker if if for some reason he was going to be traded. There's there's a lot of teams that he could help out a lot, especially uh, offensively. Uh, well, you know what, Chris? Could you imagine him and Stephen Adams together? Yeah. I mean that that was that was almost almost happened you know three years ago and and how Lopez is it now is that you can put Adams at the five and, and Lopez at the four can you imagine those two together could Lopez really defend fours though well that's the that's the issue and yeah. that's where we've seen teams especially when you go small can he guard a Paul Millsap I think he'd have a hard time can he guard it you know a Sacramento yeah. if Rudy Gay's at the four I, that's that that will be the the issue with it won't be the start of the games it will be uh, you know in between and, and how games are finished now yeah yeah all right well there's your uh, Brooke Lopez talk for the uh, the podcast. <laughs> Uh, so look, it's, it's Cleveland's world. It's the Clippers world. It's the Warriors world. We know that these teams are atop their conferences, but I want to talk today about, you know, some of the more surprising teams, good and bad. And I want to talk with about the team that's right behind Cleveland in the standing that's Atlanta. And I mean, the Hawks, you you know, they've taken kind of, they took kind of a step back last year. They lost to Mari Carroll. He was a big part of their defensive identity. Um, they weren't the team we saw before. And they once again got waxed in the first round by the Cavaliers. They make the changes this summer. They move Jeff Teague and kind of anoint Dennis Schroeder as their starting point guard. And they bring in Dwight Howard, you know, one of the most polarizing players in the NBA and effectively swap him out for Al Horford. And it's all worked, Bobby. It's all worked for this team. You know, Schroeder has been great. Dwight Howard has added a physical dimension to this team that they did not have prior. I mean, I look at Atlanta and and I don't say that they're a true threat to the Cavs, even though they beat them uh, early in the season, but uh, I think you can make a solid argument that this is the best Hawks team in the Mike Budenholzer era. Well, I think it's the deepest team, and you have. And the big question with Atlanta going into the into the year was uh, was Dennis Schroeder with uh, Teague being moved to uh, Indiana, and now you kind of you know give that give him the full reign and. 
we we saw some good things in that Boston series last year, and we saw some not good things. So that was always the big question. Now you insert uh, uh, Howard, you take out Horford. Um, what Dwight Howard were you going to get? And and and, I, and you've been a big proponent of him all along, and yeah. uh, you've got him on a three-year, seventy million dollar contract. He's, I mean, thirty years old. He's averaging fourteen and thirteen and twenty-eight minutes, and and he fits. He's he's he fits. You're not asking him to get you thirty and twenty, but maybe he can. You know, on a given night. And you've got a rejuvenated Kyle Korver. You've got Cephalosha. Even some of the younger kids haven't really, you know, with Torian Prince and DeAndre Bembry, haven't had to do much. Tim Hardaway Jr., I, I thought he was done in, tra- in training camp. He couldn't hit anything, and now he's the sixth man of the year candidate. And then Malcolm Delaney, who played over in, in Europe for the last couple of years as a backup. We thought Jared Jack was going to get that. So Yeah, they like it Malcolm is a, Delaney. They do, and it's a well-rounded team, and it's a good it's a good coach. But as you said, it's it's Cleveland, and then there's a lot of there's but there's a lot of good tier B teams with uh, Atlanta and Toronto, Charlotte. We could put Chicago in there. Mm-hmm. I I mean with Dwight, but in particular, you know, I always thought that the negatives were were kind of overshadowing the positive about him, and the negatives were kind of blown up, and the positives were 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 kind of marginalized to some degree, and. And now when Dwight's in the lineup, when, when talking with, with people in Atlanta over the last week, it, it's their ability to be physical and their ability to alter shots. Like their, their block shots are not noticeably different this year statistically. But what people in the, in the organization point out is the stuff that doesn't make the stat sheets. And that's altered shots and shots that guys just don't take because Dwight is standing uh, in the paint. They say that number has increased by a lot with this team that, this year. And and I know it's just one game, but I go back to the way they played against Cleveland early in the season. A team that had beaten them 11 consecutive games uh, leading up to that point. Atlanta went in there, and Schroeder played well, and Dwight had 17 rebounds, and the Hawks won a battle again on the glass with the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. That that never happens. Now, uh, I'd like to see someone kind of emerge in, in the small forward position and, and maybe uh, seize that in, 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 and play a little bit better there, but I, I think with Dwight, you know, as as a presence there, I mean, he's he's really good. I mean, he's he's a really good uh, big addition for them. Well, it, it's funny you talk about that, and I went and saw them last week against Miami, and that's probably not the, the game you want to go no, see evaluate no. evaluate Dwight uh, Dwight Howard because Hassan Whiteside put up nineteen and twenty five, and and Howard wound up getting hurt in that game. And I think when you look at guys like Whiteside, and there's a lot. I mean, you look across the league. I mean, Whiteside is a monster right now, and and so if you compare those two, I don't think it's fair right now. But the, the role for Howard fits him. And the big knock with him is, is that, you know, it, it looks like he he's almost having too much fun on the court. You know, he always, always has that smile on his face and there's nothing wrong with that. And now they're winning and now we don't hear much about him when he was on a, a losing team or a team last year in Houston that struggled. Then it was it was about Dwight Howard. But now you're you know, you, you're you're nine and four or ten and four and you're the second best uh, record in the in the Eastern Conference. And now you now he fits well in which he does in Atlanta. Yeah. When I say that small four position, I mean, kind of off the bench, uh, somebody as a scorer uh, with that second group. Obviously, Kent Bazemore is uh, is very good for them uh, at that position. But their, their ability to defend without fouling, their ability to to be as physical with teams, that's not something that you saw from the Hawks uh, over these last couple of years. I'd like to see Dwight healthy uh, for an entire season and then see what happens. But, I mean, you just don't need him to be 20-12 and 12 Dwight anymore. He's not. I don't think he's capable of that. But you don't need him to be that. Right now, he's around 15 points, 13 rebounds. I mean, any team in the league would take that. And the Hawks certainly will jump all over it. I mean, I'm sure they miss uh, Al Horford uh, and that leadership and his offensive versatility. But, I mean, they've got Millsap, and he can do a bunch of different things. I just look at Dwight, and, and man, if, if he can just give you 75 games this year, if he can be healthy for the postseason, that's going to be a tough matchup. They're going to be a tough out for anyone outside of Cleveland in the Eastern Conference. Well, that's why it's so important, Chris, when during the summer when you are a free agent and sometimes it isn't all about money is finding the right team. I mean, could you imagine him on Dallas right now? Yeah. I mean, it would probably be the end of him and he'd wait. He'd probably have two or three years wasted there and 
making, you know, 20, $25 million or whatever the number would be. And, and we would probably not hear Dwight Howard in a conversation that we're talking about right now, but he, you know, Horford going to uh, Boston created a domino effect and, and he slid right back in there and was able to, was able to go home and, and, and find a nice role for the, for this team. And, and that's the big thing. It's it, sometimes it's not always about money, although he didn't get a nice contract, but it's, it's about fit. It's about style of play, having uh, a coach uh, there and, and Mike Budenholzer. Uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about Millsap. I mean, yep. having a legit power forward next to you, um, those are the big things. Yeah, and I think what I'm going to be watching is how cool is he with the number of touches he's getting? He, he's only averaging about nine attempts per game. He and Tim Hardaway Jr. basically have the same amount of attempts uh, per game. He's well behind Millsap, behind Schroeder, behind uh, Bazemore. Uh, we've heard Dwight complain about touches in the past. Will he be satisfied with his role in the offense, which you know doesn't emphasize him at all? I mean, right now, you know, Yas Budenholzer and the team, and the players there, it's not a very different uh, offensive system than they had in years past, and, and Dwight's not getting consistent posts up there. So I'll be watching that uh, uh, moving forward. Uh, on the other side of the ledger, as far as disappointing teams go, you know, Portland right now hovering right around 500. They've been blown out of some games that that they shouldn't even be losing, much less being blown out of. The Pelicans uh, are being a, a, a recent example. Hey, what do you make of what you've seen out of Portland, Bobby? Because I really liked the Evan Turner acquisition. I, I guess I understood why they matched the offer to Alan Crabb, even though Crabb had been a good player, but not a great player. But but this team has is, is, you know, e- either maintained kind of the status quo or regressed in some areas this year. Well, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's a couple things there. Um, the um, uh, Al Farouk Amino injury hurt them just because now you've got you went from a, a lineup that was consistent to now you're 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 juggling one. You've had you know four different lineups over the you know last couple of weeks here. Um, your bench has been a little bit up and down. You mentioned Turner, uh, Alan Crabb, Myers Leonard. Uh, we did see them have a good night uh, in in Brooklyn on on Sunday. Um, the, the trend for them has always been Lillard and McCollum will get theirs. You know, they're right now they're combined for, you know, averaging 50 points a game, but they're two games better than they were, um, a year ago at this point, same roster, but you do have an Evan Turner and, and it's still a young team. So did success come a little bit too quickly? Did they overachieve a little bit last year? And, you know, they got fortunate in the Clipper series with all those injuries. So I think you take a lot of those into equation. Are they in that? Uh, Golden State, San Antonio, Clipper, you know, tier A's. I, I don't, I don't think so. I think they're in that that next group there, which is fine. I think they're still gonna, there's still some time to grow. And I, you know, I just wrote about them that we'll have some out here. And I think if you look at them, if you are Neil Shea and you had the third highest payroll and you had an aging group and you're 500 right now, yeah, do you, you look at try to move some pieces around? I, I think you do, but I think for this roster, you let it just breathe a little bit and and let it play out and. But they dodged a bullet. We talked about Turner. Could you imagine Chandler Parsons there right now? Yeah. I mean, he's hurt again with, I think it's the other knee. And can you imagine if, if he's there uh, $5 million more than what, what Turner's making? And and now you got a $114, $15 million payroll and you got a small forward who, who's injured. And that was the other guy they were kind of dancing with a little bit in July. So I would rather have Turner and I you know what you're going to get every night. And he was, he was good in the Brooklyn game. He's consistent. He's durable. Uh, there's not much flash with him. And I, I think them falling in that 45, 46 um, number is, is more realistic than them being in the, in the fifties and being a, a team like, you know, the, the Clippers or, um, you know, San Antonio. Yeah. I, I think Turner gets better um, as he gets more comfortable uh, with that team. He, he was so good last year for Boston. I mean, he was, you know, he, he, he sort of recreated himself as a sixth man. He was no longer Evan Turner number two overall pick from Philadelphia. He was Evan Turner, you know, Brad Stevens glue guy off the bench who, you know, played shooting guard, but doubled as a point guard and was a playmaker with the Celtics last year. I, I got to believe that wasn't an aberration. He, he was just so comfortable in that role that plugged into this same role in Portland. He'll eventually shine. I, I'm less sure, Bobby, about Alan Crabb. I mean, I he's okay, but now he's the the 70 whatever million dollar man or whatever amount of money he got there. And, and he's kind of plateaued a little bit there. And I don't see great chemistry between Turner and and Crab in on that second unit. That that to me it, it worries me a little bit about this team. The other part of it is expectations can can kill you sometimes. I mean, this team, you know, we we call them and you brought this up. We call them a second round team. 
But they're not really. I mean, they're a second-round team because the Clippers basically became a mash unit at the end of that first-round series, and they couldn't do anything to stop uh, stop the momentum Portland had. And Portland goes out and has you know a couple of good games against the the, the Warriors, but you know, they're they're probably a, a first-round type of team. They're only a mid-40s win type of team. That that might be what we're kind of looking at until they can get somebody at that power forward position to kind of step out, distinguish himself as an offensive player, some some consistency from somebody at that center position. I mean, this this is a very guard-oriented team that that maybe they're they're just kind of a good team right now and not ready to take that next jump. Well, and that's going to be the hard the hard sell for for uh, GM Neil O'Shea when he's selling ownership this up next next summer when you got to deal with Mason Plumley with his contract because what happens if you lose in the first round your payroll is already 127 million you add another 20 and you're going to have 150 million dollar payrolls so that's going to be um, that and I think that's kind of where you see some of these these restricted um, free agents that they wind up signing uh, or matching um, the Allen crabs, you know, he's basically has a no trade right now and uh, Myers Leonard and uh, Harkless has been really good for them. So those, those pieces kind of become more expendable because Plumlee's more of a, more of a value. So that, that's kind of be the, the thing to watch with, with Portland as far as from a domino effect, because sure, when you, when you lose in the, in the first round and your payroll is so high, um, albeit not a tax team right now, you know, you, you know, your owner comes to you and says, well, can you, can you win it? Can you, can we produce that, you know, a $90 million payroll? And that's when you're a GM, you're trying to, you know, juggle, juggle that roster. So I think it's, it's okay right now. It's a, it's a consistent um, evaluation. Um, they'll be fine. I think how the West is, sh- uh, is starting to at least shake up a little bit. They'll be in that, you know, they'll be in that five to eight range, maybe even to sneak up in there in four, maybe. Oh man, you mentioned Plumley and the money he could potentially get. I'd be real nervous about giving him big money. I mean, he's a good player, but but look at like you know we mentioned the Nets earlier, and are the Nets not better off right now that the Heat and the Blazers match those contract offers to uh, Alan Crabb and Tyler Johnson? I mean, I know that there there's holes in Brooklyn, but I'm not sure I'd want to be paying either one of those guys the type of money they're getting. Well, you're right, and I, I I've learned that um, one of the guys they were high on from a free agent standpoint was Joachim Noah. I oh, mean, man. can you, ima- can Knicks, you imagine? Knicks will trade that? him. And I think the Knicks <laughs> might be willing to trade him right now. Could you imagine him there right now and how he's been? And I, you know, I, I agree with you on um, crab. I like Johnson, but not at that 50 million. And yeah. um, you know, he's a, he's a bench guy. He's not a, a starter, but he, he, I guess he fit what, what Brooklyn was, was trying to do, but at least um, I, I don't see how much of a different their, the Nets record would, would be with both those guys right now. I don't think, you know, um, I, they're currently at four wins. I don't see, you know, them getting six wins or seven and, and, you know, with, with either guy. So yeah, I would say, yes, you, dodged a bullet now you got to figure out what you want to do next summer with free agency and the nets at four wins uh, as of uh monday afternoon they are uh one win better than the washington wizards right now who have the same number of wins as philadelphia which who has beaten them this year i mean i i was i was high on on the wizards coming into the season as a a back-end playoff team i thought scott brooks could make a a pretty big difference there but Man, that that roster and 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 it's just not getting the job done. I mean, they've still got the good players in the backcourt. Bradley Beal though banged up again. Um, this, you know, I I don't know how how quickly this thing turns around, Bobby in Washington. Well, it's it's twofold. I mean, the bench, Chris, is not, yeah. is not very good at all, and and we knew that going into uh going into the year there were some you know some some really question marks. The Mahinmi injury certainly hurts them, but they weren't very deep as is, uh, Trey Burke from Utah, you know, yeah. I mean, he was, it was, you know, checkered, um, uh, you know, passed from on a court standpoint, um, Nicholson, Jason Smith, those are your big free agent ac- acquisitions, Kelly Oubre Jr. Um, you know, you had somewhat of a minutes restriction on wall. Beal can't play back to, you know, it, there's a, there's a lot of different moving pieces here. And, and it's funny, you mentioned that Philly game, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm thinking about Randy Whitman and I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking if this, if Randy Whitman was the coach right now, he would not have made it to the next day. No. <laughs> and I think with Scott Brooks, you got to let it, let it, you know, give it some time here, but I, I don't see how much these guys are going to get better either. Um, unless you're going to get some really, High-level performances from Wall and Beal, and Beal's always a, a wild card just because of from a health standpoint, and him him being able to be out there all the time. Yeah, they opened up some some minutes for these young guys, and and these young guys in general really haven't performed uh, at, at the highest level. I mean, you have no. I mean, I, I don't think there's 
there should be any clamor for, for Scott Brooks' job, regardless of his contract situation. But the fact is, he's got a five-year contract, and he's making $7 million per year. So if anyone's going to go, it's probably somebody in that front office before it's going to be uh, uh, Scott Brooks with this group. So I, I don't – yeah, I, I – I think it's going to be a long season. I don't know that a lot of this is fixable in the short term for the Wizards. No, you're right. And now you're starting to, uh, you'll, you're starting to see a little bit of separation and you've got a bunch of teams, six and seven teams that you have to, to, to leapfrog. And I just don't see this team stringing together three or four wins in a row. I think you can do, you know, one or two games and then, you know, lose two or three that that's going to be the, the hard part is trying to, find some some consistencies but that team never has really gotten off to a um you know a strong start um you know I know when I was in Brooklyn they always struggled in, in the beginning and then they kind of figured it out mid-year but I don't know if they have enough good players right now or at least healthy players um to to get you know try to win some games here and get back to, to 500 all right so the uh Houston Rockets right now let's look at them for a second they're I still don't know if, how they're going to get enough stops to be effective in the playoffs, but their, their D'Antoni-like philosophy of outscoring teams is kind of working right now. I mean, 8-5 and five, as of Monday afternoon. They beat Portland. They beat Utah. Uh, they've beaten some good teams. San Antonio is on that list. Um, I mean, this, you know, the, the James Harden experiment as you know, scorer slash playmaker seems to be working out. Now, I have some question marks about whether or not he's going to be able to sustain this level of play, given how much responsibility he has with this offense. But look, I'll give Dan Tony credit where it's due. I mean, you know, this team is better than I thought they were going to be. Well, they are. And I mean, how fun is James Harden to watch? Oh man. I, he's, uh, he's I, like league pass guy. <laughs> I mean, I was watching him against uh, Portland the other night and, um, I mean, some of the things he's, he's able to do. And and my question with Houston going into the year um, was, health, I mean, a lot of teams you can talk about, but health, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, and Gordon has been really good. You know, he's come off the bench, um, you know, recently and has really given him a nice spark. And I had Ryan in, in New Jersey and, um, you know, probably one of the worst trades we've ever, we ever did was trade him to, uh, to or, him and Vince to Orlando for, uh, for Tony Batie and Courtney Lee to try to try to clear uh clear cap cap space and Ryan has really fit a nice role and uh, they're they're a good team right now um well you know they're in the mix they're in what with Portland and Oklahoma City but um but they can certainly outscore you and you know and find enough defense when when you need to. You mentioned Vince still playing <laughs> at a high level. He is in his 18th year, 18 years in the NBA, 39 years old. In January, he's going to turn 40. And, and look at his, he's playing, he's in the Memphis rotation at right around, you know, what, 20 minutes per game or something like that. Some of them are, are, are more. I mean, he's he's playing 26, uh, 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 at least 26 most nights. I mean, how, how is Vince Carter still this effective? I mean, it's it's amazing watching him continue to perform at this level. Well, it's funny, Chris. We we signed him to that long term contract in New Jersey in two thousand six, and my my now ten year old was just born then. And it feels like <laughs> I mean, you look at him, and and I thought he was done last year because you know he was not as effective, but you know he's he's put some strong um, you know minutes as a you know a rotational player right now, and has really helped them. And um, I didn't think he had much left in the in the tank at all. Um, but he he certainly has, and he really has embraced his role there. Um, he has turned into a great leader. I saw him in summer league down in Orlando, and he's sitting at the end of the bench, and he's like, and he's coaching these guys, some of these young kids up, and um, has really enjoyed his time down in in Memphis with. Uh, and that's a veteran, that's a veteran group, but they've they've sprinkled some of these these young kids there. But I am stunned that Vince Carter is, is still playing. Uh, I thought his days in Dallas would have been it, and then um, you know he would have retired and gone into broadcasting but he's still he's still playing and, and able to produce yeah and, and he wants to keep playing for i think at least a couple more years wants to get into the the 20 year range if not uh beyond which then begs the question bobby is vince carter a hall of famer um this is going to get kicked around a lot in the coming years but what do you think i i think he is um 
I, you know, I hate when, you know, you talk about when they look at baseball players and they say guys who are compilers and they guys who, you know, play a lot and, you know, either from an RBI standpoint and hits and, and uh, because of your years of service, but he's done so much. And we, you know, a lot of, a lot of people nowadays forget, get, forget about him in Toronto and how good he was. And he saved um, the, the Nets, the then New Jersey Nets from where they were after they had traded Kenyon Martin. And when we got, um, we got Vince in 2004, he saved them for three years and kept that organization afloat. Um, you know, did some good things in, in Orlando and then Dallas and then, then Memphis and, and, but his time in, in, in Toronto was as good from the slam dunk contest and, and, uh, and uh, I guess it was in Golden State that year to you know getting that team to the to the playoffs where from where it was an expansion team a couple of years before and and kind of put them on, on the map and I know it didn't end well there but um, but I I do believe he is certainly Hall of Fame worthy. What do you see when you watch him defensively? Because look, there are a lot of guys that could probably still score in the NBA, but the only way you get on the floor is if you're at least a competent defender. I mean. Uh, from what you had when he was in New Jersey to to where he is now, I mean, is there like, is there a level of a craftiness to him now that he's able to kind of skate by defensively? Well, his athleticism certainly has kind of, you know, and that goes with, with age, but he's smart. He knows from a rotation standpoint, um, he studies these guys, um, you know, from a video standpoint, from a scouting report, um, you know, and he's not relying on on his athleticism because it's just not there where it was, you know, 15 years ago. So um, he's had to really learn how to really um, reestablish his game. And that that's basically what's kept him on the court. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tend to agree with you that he's a Hall of Famer, too. I mean, the longevity, the, the numbers he put up, you know, not the playoff success that you'd like to hope for from uh, a player uh, that you're considering for the Hall of Fame. But this this type of. This type of output for this long, I mean, I would definitely uh, put him in. Uh, real quick, before we go, um, Sacramento is is well under 500 right now, which obviously you know, begs the question of, of will there be a fire sale within the Kings? We know at the start of the season they wanted to keep a, a good group intact because they wanted to open the arena with DeMarcus Cousins and even Rudy Gay and, and convince their fans that they were a playoff team. They're not a playoff team. They're, they're really not, no matter what what kind of lineup changes Dave Yeager tries. They don't have quality play at the point guard spot. They're mixing and matching that front court, going big with Kufos and small with Rudy Gay. I mean, I'd, I just don't think you can scheme your way to success with that group uh, in the Western Conference. What 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 kind of value does a guy like Cousins have right now as he heads towards that kind of year-and-a-half mark uh, left in his contract in February? Well, it depends on, you know, from a team standpoint, what your locker room is as far as, how he, from a fit standpoint, I think you're going to really need to rely on your personnel guys from a, from a scouting standpoint. I think you're going to need to dig back into your, um, your draft research from 2010 when he did all that background on him. And I know when we were in New Jersey, we, we did a, ten, a ton on him as far as from, uh, from looking at that, you all your psych work. Um, he's got value just based on from a skill level. He's as, as skilled as a big man of I've seen. And I, you know, I saw Derek Coleman back in the day and, uh, you know, Derek was not as big as, as DeMarcus, but they, I, I compared both of those just because they were so, you know, from an all-star level, they can do so many different things, but they've kind of, their, their career kind of just, just flatlined based on, you know, where, where they were. And I don't, I hope that doesn't happen with, with DeMarcus, but you know, he's got a, uh, you know, another year left after this year. So that now we, we see the, the clock start ticking a little bit as far as what the Sacramento team can do. And, they're four games, uh, you know, under 500 as of uh, a Monday night. They've got two more games this week against Oklahoma City and Houston. Then they go on the road for six games. So, where are we going to be when they come back? Are you going to be at 500? Yeah. I, I think they'll be below. But you know, they're another team that's playing catch up, and we still have to see. I think Minnesota will get better during the year, and I think you know they'll, they'll probably start sniffing, you know, possibly maybe an eight seed if they can be a little more consistent. So, you know, who are you who are you jumping over? You know, Portland, Utah the Lakers. Um, so that, that's what you have to figure out. And it, it, and it's not like you have a, a group of really young players. I mean, a flalo, Matt Barnes, Garrett Temple, Collison, Ty Lawson. I mean, it's an older group. So you're going to be at a crossroads from a Kings organization as far as if you want to pull the trigger on that. I feel the same about cousins in a lot of ways that I did about uh, Dwight Howard coming into his kind of a uh, uh, contract free agent year. 
I, I think the negatives, while they're certainly there, uh, tend to overshadow some of the positives. And I remember watching him in Rio, Bobby, and, and like this was a guy that when he was around winning players in a winning environment, he just played differently. He just didn't have the the, the constant kind of griping. You had a guy that seemingly hustled on a lot more plays than maybe hustles on right now uh, with the Kings. I think if you change, if you put him in a different situation, uh, he could be an incredibly successful player. I, I wouldn't blink if I was a team that really liked him but was uncertain about his personality. If I was a winning team and I could plug him into my starting five position and be a lot better, I would do that in a second and not worry about the personality stuff. Well, Chris, losing wears on people. I mean, can yeah. you imagine being somewhere? The coaching since changes he's had over the years. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, yeah, you, you've been there since 2010. You've never sniffed the playoffs, and you've had what five or six different head coaches. Yeah. I mean, that wears on on different players. And, and and are there times on the court when, from a facial standpoint, or do you wish he would do certainly things certainly different? Sure. But from a you know from a physical from a uh, from what he can offer. And if I had a team that I knew had a strong locker room and had a strong coach, I would have no reservation at all regarding DeMarcus Cousins. All right, Bobby, I appreciate it. Next time we'll let you uh, take even more credit for Brooke Lopez's success as a three-point shooter. (laughs) I will. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. It's the MMQB Podcast with Peter King. What appealed to you early on about Brett Favre? I can't help but think that a lot of it was his personality and who just the way he came across. I think that people wanted to meet him and not just because he was a great quarterback, but also just because he seemed like, you know, everybody else. The MMQB Podcast with Peter King. Subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts out of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash Mannix. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Hi, boys and girls. It's Tony Kornheiser reminding you to subscribe and listen to my daily podcast where we talk about everything from sports to politics to the impending animal revolution. And remember, you can listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. One of the bigger surprises in the uh, Western Conference start the season has been the play of the L.A. Clippers, uh, believed certainly to be in the mix among the top teams in the West to start the season. But right now, they're looking like the class uh, of the Western Conference. Talk more about them. Let's bring in Dan Wojcicki, the uh, beat writer for the Orange County Register. And Dan joins me here on the podcast. Dan, let's talk first about covering the Clippers. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of beat guys, and of course, you know, I, I go to a lot of practices and games and whatnot and talk to players, but that locker room, I mean, how would you describe it in, in, as a kind of locker room to cover? It's been really good um, over the years. I mean, there certainly hasn't been a shortage of things to talk about. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I think every, every year or so, I, I tend to list out the things that I've had to cover in my, I think this is my sixth year on the beat. And it's just like, it's a crazy weird list of things. And then you remind yourself that this is also the best era of Clipper basketball ever. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of like the, the punchline to that. Um, but as far as the guys in that room, there's a lot of smart guys. There's guys with strong opinions. Um, there's one so-so podcast host. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, I, there's definitely people to talk. Um, I think the the kind of interesting thing is to try to figure out always where they're at mentally, which has always been kind of the, I think like the, if I could have a decoder ring for covering the Clippers, that's what I would want it to solve is sort of like, what's this team's mentality right now? How worried are they about kind of, you know, their impending, you know, sort of, uh, I guess the clock that's ticking on this core, is it really even a clock and, and kind of, you know, the stuff that we always kind of put on them, 
I always, if I could ask them one question, just be like, how much of that actually matters to you guys? Because I think you'd get a lot of different answers from that room. Yeah, how much do you think it, it matters to them? Because you're right. I mean, we, coming into the season, we as kind of a media collective have, have said it's kind of make or break this year for the Clippers with mm-hmm. the guys that can be free agents, the age of certain players. I mean, from, from asking that question, I mean, how, how aware do you think they are of that? Well, I mean, I think they know that we're talking about it. I, you know, I, I think part of them, you know, some of them kind of feel like, you know, this really isn't the first time they've heard it, you know, that they heard it going into DeAndre Jordan's free agency. Um, they heard it last year because, you know, last year would be the year to trade Blake Griffin if you were going to trade Blake Griffin and try to get, you know, maximized return. Um, so they've always kind of felt, I think, that, you know, artificial sort of sense of urgency that that's placed in them. But, you know, this year it's like it's nobody, you know, the organization at least is like, you know, they don't have a choice in this anymore. It's, it's sort of, it's sort of on the players now. And I think, you know, if you want to be, you know, kind of like a, a psychologist about why they've started so strongly, I think that's definitely one of the things you have to talk about is that this is a team that hasn't really embraced November basketball. Um, you know, maybe since Doc Rivers first took the job and here they are, what are we 14 games into the season? I think they play, you know, 15 might be Monday night. Um, and they're playing maybe the best basketball they've played under him, you know, and, and I think that's not um, just a coincidence. I think that they wanted to kind of get out to a good, obviously everybody wants to get out to a good start, but I think they really wanted to play with sort of a sense of urgency and, and try to figure out exactly, you know, is this, is this the group that we want to be a part of? Is this the group we want to win with? Yeah. And, I, and I think so far so good on that front. Yeah. And I think that intensity, at least to my eyes, has manifested itself on the defensive side. I mean, they, 100%. the Clippers were always a pretty good defensive team. I mean, they were sixth last year in defense efficiency, mm-hmm. but this year, as we speak on Monday, they're first and, and just watching them. I mean, you can see there, there are very few possessions, Dan, that I see these guys take off. And I don't know if that's always been the case early in the season with this group. Yeah, so let me tell you a story. This was something that I wrote about earlier this season that that stuck out to me was um, they're playing Detroit on a Monday night. I think it was a Monday night. And, um, you know, Blake Griffin is guarding Tobias Harris, who's a good good offensive player. And Tobias Harris kind of, you know, puts the ball down, um, moves to his right, gets into the paint, makes kind of a floater, like a driving floater. Um, and, no, the ball goes through the net, and Blake Griffin, who was guarding him, kind of is there to grab it out. And he kind of slaps the ball in his hands and looks around. And he looks, I mean... He looks ticked off. Like, you know, help was maybe supposed to be there. It wasn't. Um, and Detroit scored. And uh, that meant they were up 28 instead of 30. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to me, that was like, that's a kind of a microcosm for how they've, when they've been at their best this season, it's been that same kind of levels of accountability exist when they're up 30 points than, you know, as exists when they're up fit, like five. You know, they're playing those defensive possessions late in games. You see it all the time with DeAndre Jordan. Um, I think that you're starting to see it out. Blake Griffin is probably the biggest change is that he's really playing defense at a different level. Um, and, and, you know, I think Chris, if you look back to last year, uh, another reason why this defense is playing so well is that, you know, it's continuity. Um, they were, you know, you mentioned six overall. I think they were third, maybe once they added Luke and Mute into the starting lineup, who's, mm-hmm. you know, given them kind of a versatile wing defender, a guy who can guard one through four better than they've had at that position. And they've kind of settled in on him at that role. And I think they've, and they changed their pick and roll coverage before last year. And I think that they've kind of come into this year way more comfortable on that side of the basketball. And, and it's just been sort of a pick up where we left off type of thing. And weirdly the first, you know, week of the season, they were amazing defensively and they, they were pretty dreadful on offense. And, and obviously, and that's caught up. And, and you know, what, if both can click at the same time, I mean, they're, they're as good as anybody in the NBA. Tell me more about what you've seen from Blake uh, this year. The numbers, really, over the last three years, they're, they're pretty comparable. I mean, around 21 mm-hmm. points and, and, and seven, nine rebounds. He's, he's up at nine. I think it's a career high in rebounds, or at least a, a three- or four-year high in rebounds this year. Um, is it just is it the defensive end that separates him this year from the guy we've seen over the last few, or is there, there another layer to it as well? I mean, I think, look, every year he's kind of come back as a better player in some facet. I mean, you know, the other day he's 10 for 10 from the free throw line, and I remember when I first started covering the team, like he was terrified of shooting free throws. Mm-hmm. Like that was not something he wanted to do, and he's worked himself into a, you know, a pretty good free throw shooter. Um, you know, he, he's worked his perimeter jump shot and into a thing that's a reliable weapon that you can't just give him, you know, 19, 20 footers. Cause he'll shoot and make them. Um, 
But where I think, like you mentioned, where I think he's really different this year is defensively. And I think he, there's just a, a, an effort and an energy. He's always played really hard. Um, but like, I think you're just seeing it really more on both ends. Doc Rivers has pointed to kind of, you know, his defensive IQ kind of like finally like manifesting on the court that he's always felt that he was a smart player, but that, you know, maybe kind of the time it would take the process to action would maybe be, you know, a, a hair too long or something like that. Well, that's gone. Now he's, he's comfortable in their system. And, and I think the, the, the second thing, and, and, you know, I don't think we can undersell this is that this is a guy who had injuries and, you know, a pretty embarrassing off court mistake take away over half his season last year. And I think he, he's playing like somebody who um, really uh, enjoys being back on the court and, and, and realizes, you know, the opportunity that they had last year that was kind of squandered. And I think he's playing with more energy and intensity because, you know, he didn't have basketball for such a long period of time last year. Has the perception of Blake amongst, you know, opponents evolved at all in the last few years? I mean, I was watching that Memphis game, Dan, and it obviously wasn't their their best game by any stretch. But, mm-hmm. you know, watching Blake kind of just go toe-to-toe with Zach Randolph and push Marcus Gasol and, and really not give an inch to either one of those guys. I mean, that was pretty impressive to me. And maybe he's done it a lot over the last few years, but it's, you know, Blake had that kind of rep as being kind of a whiner and a little bit of a... Guy you could rattle. Yeah, a guy you could rattle. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I mean, has that changed in the last couple of years or even this season? I mean, I think we've seen less of it. You know, I I certainly have noticed it less, like the incredibly hard fouls that he was taking. Yeah. Um, Now, I wonder if part of that is, you know, he's also not the same kind of like put the ball on the ground and try to embarrass everybody type of player too, that he's become more perimeter based and stuff. I mean, obviously we saw, uh, you know, against the bulls on Saturday. I mean, he's not afraid to go try and dunk on Robin Lopez and and he got him pretty good. Um, But like, even like that play kind of came after, you know, he went in for a layup and saw Robin Lopez was there and kind of tried to move around the the contact and and make more of a finesse play. And, And it took kind of, Doc Rivers being like, no, just go through him. Like you can do that. Like kind of to be reminded of that. It's interesting. I I don't feel like guys try to like agitate him quite as much. I mean, he, he, I don't think it's fun to play against him. Um, And I don't think guys particularly like playing against him. It's really physical. Um, You know, you're right about kind of the working of the officials and, and and that type of stuff. And I, and I do think that gets under people's skin a little bit, but um, you, it's not certainly ending up in the types of like the cheap shots and stuff like that, that he would use to take or, or the, the crazy hard fouls. I, you know, or even like the Zebo kind of Greco Roman wrestling that I was treated <laughs> to see like two years in a row in the playoffs. Like that, that seems to have kind of gone. It's easy for, for players and for a team to, you know, hold hands and kumbaya and say, we always loved each other. The media blew everything out of proportion. I mean, mm-hmm. We hear that all the time, but I mean, this, this group of guys, I mean, the, the, the history is what it is. Yeah. You know, there was always the talk about whether it's Chris Paul and DeAndre, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin about what was that relationship really like? I mean, what's it like now? I mean, how, how, what's you, what have you noted about the way these guys interact personally? Are they closer or is it the same? I mean, how would you evaluate it? I mean, right now it seems like Chris and Blake are absolutely on the same page. Um, you know, just like little moments kind of that they've shared and, you know, post-game press conferences and stuff like that, like watching, you know, Blake interact with uh, Chris Paul's, you know, son, little Chris, just kind of like little things like that. Um, I've noticed this year and not that they didn't happen before, but it just seems like they're kind of locked in right now. And obviously they're winning and this has never been a team that, uh, you know, hasn't handled winning well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's never been their problem. It, it's been when things get really, really tough. Um, you know, I think sometimes it, they haven't always handled that that well. I think, you know, sort of the the history with their relationships and stuff like that. I think, you know, Chris Paul is a really competitive player, um, a really competitive player. And I think sometimes his style is grinded on people. And I think that, you know, both Chris and Blake haven't always responded well to that. And I think, I'm, I'm sorry, pardon me, Blake and DeAndre. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes Chris hasn't, you know, really endeared himself to them either in sort of the way he's spoken to them or the way that, you know, he, he's been a hard teammate, you know, but I, I've always felt like they're kind of un, like unified in their common goal. And that's why it's always kind of ended up with everybody kind of coming back. Like all, you know, we'll see what happens this year, but you know, Deandre had a chance to leave. Um, actually, I mean, and Blake didn't have to sign an extension. Chris didn't have to resign. 
Um, you look at their bench, a guy like Jamal Crawford, he didn't have to, he didn't have to, you know, resign. Austin Rivers didn't have to resign. You know, you kind of go up and down the roster and it, it, it's, it's a group of people who want to be here. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's another thing that, you know, this team, at least it seems like one through 15 is, is very, they're all pointing in the same direction right now. Yeah. And, the guy, the guy that's made such an impact, uh, most spates. Well, you know, the yeah. bargain basement guy. I mean, getting, what, a million and a half uh, this season, just basically stolen like so many other Golden State Warriors players were kind of stolen in the aftermath of the Durant signing. What what impact has he made uh, on this team? Well, he gives them something that they haven't had offensively and something that they've tried, um, you know, since Doc Rivers took over, and that's, a you know, a legitimate stretch big man, a guy who can stand out at the three-point line. And, and, you know, what he's done for that second unit, Chris, is like he's made – um, you know, the strength of Raymond Felton, you know, the ability to put the ball on the bat, put the ball on the ground and, and go to the basket. You know, he's opened up tremendous driving lanes for him, driving lanes for Austin Rivers, driving lanes for Jamal Crawford. I think that's been that. I think, you know, they added, I don't know if like snarl is a category, but I think it's good to have a guy who's like willing to kind of do some dirty work stuff. Like most spades draws charges. He's not the best defensive player, but he'll stand in and take contact. And, 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 you know, can play with some toughness, got a really tough offensive rebound against the Bulls and made a great pass late in that game. And, you know, I, I think he's comfortable here because he knows that his minutes are going to be pretty consistent. You know, he said something like that to me the other day after the Bulls game where, you know, Doc Rivers had benched him in the first half after four minutes. And he said he'd kind of, you know, I think he implied that he kind of went back to the Golden State days mm-hmm. where, you know, if things didn't go well. That team was so deep, they know they could go in a different direction. Well, you know, at the end of that first half, Doc turned back to Mo after playing him for only four minutes in his first stretch in the rotation, which is light for him, about half the time you would normally play, and put him back in for the last offensive possession. And Mo told me that, you know, that gave him so much confidence, um, knowing that, you know, Doc Rivers had his back like that. And, and you know, sure enough, he goes out and makes three threes in the second half and, and helps them come back and get a, a really tough one against the Bulls, a win that I think when Doc Rivers saw the schedule at the beginning of the year, he just pretty much marked as a loss, a schedule loss. And, and most Bates was, I mean, he really used the reason they won that game. I think we're all kind of gearing up for December 7th, that first matchup yeah. uh, with Golden State. I remember watching the preseason game, Dan, and I know it's mm-hmm. preseason, but you know, watching watching them just get yeah. just trampled by Golden State. I wondered, I wondered if that would have a mental effect, frankly, like just watching the Warriors do what they did. But you know, how do you see this Clipper team matching up uh, with Golden State, who they're invariably going to have to go through to get what they want to get? I think in, you know, kind of in theory and on paper, some of the things the Clippers do well kind of line up against some of the things the Warriors might struggle with. And, and I mean, and I wish this is a podcast. You can't see me putting air quotes around struggle, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I think the Clippers are big um, and they, they played, you know, two traditional big men in DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and they're guys that are athletic enough to guard multiple positions. So I think that that allows them to kind of do some switching and stuff like that, um, which helps them. And that's something they've certainly worked on a lot this year. They, they've switched more uh, defensively this season than they have in the past. And, and I think, you know, they've got a lot of depth. And, and that's another area where maybe the Warriors are vulnerable, um, you know, where the Clippers do have, you know, can go 11 or 12 deep. Um, you know, for instance, Wes Johnson's hurt right now. Uh, Brandon Bass wasn't working out in a couple. And, and, and you know, and they – they broke the glass on, you know, in case of emergency on Paul Pierce and, and he played well for two games, you know, and, and hit some, I think he hit three threes in those two games, had a, had a drive in the paint that looked kind of vintage Paul Pierce, um, you know, having those little kind of those little tricks up your sleeve. I, I think that gives them a little bit more of an advantage. They can play, I think more different ways than the Warriors. Um, but it's still going to come down to, you know, are they good enough defensively? I mean, that that's the ultimate stress test is, you know, how are they, are they going to be able one-on-one to win some of those matchups? And, and you know, because I don't, I think that they're too talented to do it just a hundred percent on team defense, the Warriors. I, I think you've got to, you've got to figure out ways, you know, can, can Luke and Bob Mute do enough on offense where you can play them for 30 minutes? It's hard to, it's hard to watch Paul Pierce uh, kind of be that break the glass on guy at this point yeah. in his career. Did you, did you ask him why he came back? Um, you, you know, I, I, we've talked to him about it briefly. Um, I don't know that we got like the most honest answer. I, I think, you know, I, I mean, certainly the paycheck doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, you, you know what I mean? I think oh, no, I do. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but I, I do think it's just kind of, you know, one last trip to kind of savor everything. Um, he's definitely been more outgoing, in, in, you know, around us and the media and stuff like that this year. Um, whereas last year at times he would be kind of a headphones on or, you know, hiding in the back pregame. You know, it seems like he's kind of soaking things in more this year. Obviously, you know, Halloween night, dressing like Rick James, mm-hmm. um, coming out of the court, posing for pictures with fans and stuff like that. I mean, he seemed really happy. Um, one of the cool things that I've seen from Paul Pierce this year, and it, it's it's something that I think I'll remember, um, you know, when I, long down the road is the time watching him work out with Diamond Stone, the Clippers second round pick. Um, those two guys have kind of gravitated towards each other. Uh, Stone's in the D League right now, but um, before he was sent down where before every practice, every shoot around, those two guys playing one-on-one, you know, that's a guy who, you know, Paul's been in the league um, since Diamond was, you know, born. And, and just why, and Diamond Stone's a big man. They play different different positions. It doesn't matter. They're trash talking. Paul's going at him. Paul's mad when he's losing. He's, he's trash talking when he's winning. And, and he seemed to have like really kind of embraced that part of the season. Now I'm sure he wants to be on the court more. Mm-hmm. I'm positive, you know, just in terms of, you know, his competitive drive and his competitive spirit. But, but I think, you know, knowing that he's having a big impact on, on a, the life of a younger guy in this league, someone who wants to learn and stuff like that, he seems to have taken that to heart and, and really enjoy kind of that part of this process for him. Yeah. And, and that, that makes sense to me because when he was debating what to do, I had, you know, at least one uh, current NBA coach call me and say, is Paul Pierce retiring? If he is, can you get a message to him saying I'll hire him on my staff? Um, you know, he's, mm-hmm. I think he's got that future. He's, you know, said publicly he'd love to get into the front office. And I think Boston would be uh, a, a likely place for him to kind of start that that post-playing career. But there are a lot of options. That's why it did kind of surprise me because I, I agree with you. Like, he, he wants to play. <laughs> he, he still believes yeah. there's something kind of left in the tank. But, you know, based on what we saw last year and what we've seen early this season, it, it's more of like, I mean, I would think, Dan, it's more of like this, if you can find that rare matchup where it works, you play Paul Pierce. Otherwise, y- you've got to go with other guys. You're right. I mean, he's not part of their rotation plans. Um, I think if everybody's healthy, you know, and that was clear, even though Paul was hurt to start the season, um, had a, a weird thing where he stepped on a sideline reporter's foot in, the, in their final pre- preseason game and sprained his ankle. Um, you know, once he was healthy, there, there weren't minutes there for him. And, and one of the, in one of what I think Blake Griffin called it one of the most Paul Pierce things ever, <laughs> you know, last Friday in Sacramento, you know, his numbers called. And uh, the first time he touches the ball, he makes, you know, a perfect pass to Austin Rivers, gets an assist. Second time he touches the ball, he drills a three. And, like, this is somebody who hadn't, like, I mean, not a second of court time since the preseason. Mm-hmm. And even then wasn't playing a lot. And to see, you know, kind of that level of professionalism, that level of, um, kind of commitment to your craft to, to just be ready um, in that in that moment. I think you know that that went noticed in that locker room, and and I think that kind of enables him to be a good fit, and guys enjoy having him around, and enjoy rooting for him. And I think you know, I don't know that that's enough for him to make this a good year. It's it's it, it, it's hard. I'll be curious to know kind of after he's done when he looks back on it, if that was enough to kind of make it worth it. But. Um, you, you know, because he's not a big attention guy. I mean, he's not looking for the, uh, you know, the rocking, rocking chair tributes and stuff like that. Right. He'll get a couple of them, but that's not really what he's in this for. I, I think it's just to be in that room and, and, and kind of have those interactions one more time. At least that's what it seems like to me. Are the Clippers, is Doc Rivers, are they comfortable with what they're getting out of that small forward spot now? Like, Baba Mute's been the guy for them, and, and he's a very good defensive player, but that's clearly been kind of a, a question mark for this team over the last few years. Who was going to be you know, player five in that big four. How how comfortable are they with, with the players, specifically Mabamute, that they're plugging into that spot? I would say they're more committed than they are comfortable, mm-hmm. probably, but um, they're committed. And I think they found someone who works for them defensively, which is ultimately, I think, when they look around at that group is the most important thing, um, to have somebody there who can, you know, guard Damian Lillard one night and Anthony Davis the next. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that's a big... They, they haven't really had that um, before Luke. And I think what, what, what's been kind of interesting is, so they made some small tweaks to their offense, adding things more, like more player movement and stuff like that. 
um, when they get into some ISO sets and, you know, finding him once or twice a game on a cut for a layup, uh, you know, in the playoffs, like those baskets are backbreakers. Like whenever Tony Allen would score on you in the playoffs, like it feels like you're giving up six points instead of two uh, because that's not the guy you're worrying about. And, and if, <laughs> you know, and I think when you have Luke in the corner, whether he, he, make, he makes one corner three or if you turn your head and, and, you know, go to double Blake Griffin and he cuts on the baseline, you can find him for a layup. You know, those baskets carry a lot of weight and they've done more this season. Um, you know, minor thing, I think he's scoring like six points a game, but he was scoring three last year. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, doubling that output, making him a, just, a, you know, a smidge more credible on offense, I think has made that group more dangerous. And then I think they just kind of look at their bench and they kind of like their other options. Um, you know, they like how Wes Johnson has kind of been as sort of a small ball four. I don't think they view him as a starter, starting three on this team. I think they like him in his role. Alan Anderson is just not healthy enough. And I think in Doc's opinion, like they just don't trust that foot enough to like fully commit to making a change with him. And, and you know, and, and Paul is, is Paul at this point, not really a small forward. Um, you know, so Luke's certainly the best option they have. And and the way he's played so far, Chris, I, I don't think it, it, you know, obviously look, if, if there's a great deal out there to be made for, for a two way small forward, I'm sure they'd be interested, but, I don't. I, I don't think they feel a huge sense of urgency right now. The way he's played, um, he's been really good for them. So take health out of the equation as yeah. as we get into this this Clipper season and, and and move into like the playoff kind of thought process. I mean, what's what's the biggest question mark for this team? I would say it's like you know how close are they operating to their ceiling right now? You know, is is that so? They're a team that's benefited from tremendous continuity. Um, they're a team that's benefited from you know, knowing each other for, for all this time, um, the Warriors are going to get better. Um, I don't think there's any question that they're going to be a better team in game 80 than they're going to be in game 15. And I think it's, you know, where do the Clippers find ways to get better over, over the course of the season? Now they always, they always do. Um, that's always been a doc rivers thing, but you know, if we're talking about a team that's leading the league in defensive efficiency is second in offensive efficiency, like, where are we going to find these, these places to, to, to really improve. I think bench consistency will be a big thing. Um, that group got off to a really good start defensively. Um, you know, can that be sustained? They've struggled a little bit after West Johnson went out. I think, you know, how creative will doc rivers be with lineups is something that I'm interested to see. Will they, you know, go crazy small. We saw them in a preseason game start, you know, Austin rivers, uh, Raymond Felton, and Chris Paul all together. Not that I think we're going to see that in a starting lineup, but could you see that for a stretch in a game? Will, will they go jumbo, which is something else they can do with most Bates, DeAndre, and Blake Griffin? Um, can they? W- will they experiment with those things and find these things that they where they think here's six minutes we absolutely have to win, but here's a lineup that can't be matched. I, th- I think that'll have to me. That's the big question: is can they find all these little tiny strategic advantages? Because I mean, I kind of feel like what we're looking at right now, and they're going to get better, Chris, but. I mean, this is a pretty good version of them. I feel like you, you know, ha- I, I feel like I you have to go I, jumbo, I right? Sign up. They would sign up to take, I think, a version of this play, you know, yeah. into, into the playoffs, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like in the playoffs, if you play Golden State, you've got to go jumbo. I think if you, I think if you try to play down to them, you're 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 not going to win. You're just not going to win that matchup. You have to. I've always believed that the only way you can beat Golden State is to make them. Force them to pay for having Zaza Pachulia and JaVale McGee and and you know whatever flotsam they mm-hmm. they throw out there. Um, it, the strength of the Clippers is their strength, and, and to me, that the only way that the only thing that gives them a chance is if they can make Golden State play up to them. It's hard, and and it's not something Golden State's likely to do. But I don't know. I, I just if they try to get into a track meet, I, I don't see how it's going to help them. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if you can put yourself in a position where you're you're confident enough that Blake Griffin is able to guard either Kevin Durant or Andre Iguodala. Um, you know, that gives them a tremendous advantage, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if you feel good enough about where you're at defensively to do that, um, you can do some really interesting things against them. Um, one of the kind of the weird things, and I'll be curious to see if they do this, and you know this from, from watching Doc, is like generally Doc like doesn't really care about offensive rebounding. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a place, and we saw Oklahoma City do this in the playoffs last year, um, that's a place where you can kind of get after the Warriors a little bit. And, and you know, Doc is always, values transition defense, which is also super important against the Warriors. I'll be curious to see when they first play, you know, can the Clippers get, you know, 14 to 16 second chance points in that game because of their size, because of DeAndre Jordan, because of Blake Griffin, 
And if they can do that, I, I think that'll give us a, a little bit of insight into maybe the way you'd want to play them in a playoff series. But I also think the other important thing for the Clippers is to not think about playing the Warriors in the playoffs because mm. um, I've been down this road with them a lot of times where it looks like that that's inevitable and something really weird happens. And so I think just focusing kind of on the, the 48 minutes in front of you, um, this team has been pretty good at that so far this year. And I think if they can kind of stay in the moment like that, I think that'll that'll give them you know, the right kind of mindset going into the playoffs. Well, Dan, enjoy this uh, upcoming road trip. I'm sure there's plenty of, uh, uh, what, Subway sandwiches in your future, um, you know, oh, hey. cheap beer. I, I, don't re- I, I, don't, I don't do the national Subway. I don't do the national chains. I like the regional sandwiches. <laughs> You're a man of the people, are you? Yeah, like, you know, the Jimmy John's in one pocket <laughs> of the country, the Potbelly somewhere else. It, it, that, that's important to me. I like to know what the people are in the region I'm at, where they're getting there, you know, Turkey and Swiss. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's how I, that's how I connect. Because because Jimmy John's is really that's really you know going very very authentic. Very, uh, authentic you know Midwestern if it's flavor. if it says it's authentic, it doesn't necessarily mean it's authentic. Just because they say it is. Ah, <laughs> uh, Dan, you thanks, me, Chris. Thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, anytime, buddy. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Bobby Marks and Dan Wakey for joining the show. A reminder that you can download this podcast and other archive podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, really anywhere you can download podcasts. If you like it, post a comment, give us a rating. You know I appreciate it. While you're there, check out the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.